Hello everybody, how you doing? Hope all is well. This is Perizopoulos. Welcome back to another episode of Shot of Philosophy. And today we're going to stick with our conversation about time, sticking with the hourglass and kind of seeing our relationship to time as, of course, our relationships to our past, our present, and our future. And we're going to be referring to a handbook for new Stoics today, How to Thrive in a World Out of Your Control, 52 Week-by-Week Lessons by Massimo Piucci and Gregory Lopez. The more I read this book, the more I'm enjoying it. And this, we're looking today at week 43. The exercise is called Challenge Your Anxious Thoughts. I love this exercise. He's really borrowing, or they're really borrowing heavily from Seneca here. And they have a great quote from Seneca. I'll read the whole thing. But one quote from this longer piece that is missing, or not missing, but one I want to add because I love this idea. Um, It's actually one that's really popular amongst my students as well. It's from Seneca. And he tells us, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. And a large part of what Pellucci and Lopez offer in this exercise, in this chapter, revolves around this idea that our relationship to the future, when we're anxious especially, is imaginary, and we can work with philosophy and these practices, among others, to cultivate a healthier, more truthful, and honestly, um, more helpful imagination. When we're anxious, we are not really helping ourselves, unless for Pellucci and Lopez, that worry is being used to take sound, healthy action and or create a good plan of action, right? So again, as we've had already in other lectures, being anxious is a natural part of being a person. The School of Life has some great essays on this. Being anxious is one of the reasons why we're here, or let's say our human capacity for being anxious kept our ancestors alive in a lot of cases. So we're wired to be anxious. The question isn't... um, How can I not be anxious? That's never going to happen. You'll always, as a human, deal with some anxiety. The question should be more so, how do I make sure I'm not excessively anxious? How can I respond to what are my natural human anxieties more effectively, right? So we're never, in my opinion, going to fully get rid of anxiety. It's part of being a person, right? We're blessed and cursed with these imaginations, with an ability to see the future to some extent, right? Um, That's really unique to our species. So we're not sitting here again, trying to get rid of anxiety entirely. I think that's an unrealistic and unhelpful goal to have. We're instead working to control our anxiety to perhaps decrease the frequency and intensity of our anxious thoughts. And I think starting off even with the the quote from Seneca, right? I, for me, again, Seneca, among other philosophers, are kind of like my companions. They're like my friends to an extent. And I love referring to Seneca in general, but also this one line of we suffer more in imagination in than in reality, actually helps me on a very regular basis. I use that as kind of a mantra, right? I even, sometimes I was, this weekend, even in my head telling myself, like, remember Seneca. You're imagining shit right now. And as we see with Lopez and Pagliucci, you know what they offer, they have a three-step process for dealing with anxious thoughts in this chapter, challenge your anxious thoughts, that really come heavily from Seneca. So let's get into this, right? I love the opening lines from Pagliucci and Lopez here. They say, Anxiety tends to focus our attention on negative possibilities. While we're caught up in fantasizing about an awful future, we fail to realize that in the present moment, everything's okay. So this already fits really nicely into some recent things I've been thinking about, some recent lectures I've offered in regards to why living in the moment is so powerful. I think a partial way to even define like how you would even know you're living in the moment, well, one way would be you're not anxious. So when you're anxious, you're definitely not living in the moment. Right. So when our thoughts are not anxious thoughts and they're not about the past, we might even say that's a great way to generally define 
what living in the moment is, right? So where is our attention? We've talked a lot about attention already, right? Attention, prosecute, this ancient Greek thing, this self-mastery thing. An anxious thought is not leading us to self-mastery if we do not engage with it in a healthy way. Right? Anxious thoughts can totally consume us. And in which case, you know, we're allowing our thoughts, our emotions, external influences to kind of carry us away into a direction where we're lacking inner peace. Not the goal here, right? As we've been saying, one of the major goals of philosophy is cultivating inner peace. And your peace matters and we should prioritize our peace. Adopting an exercise like this is a great way to lead a more peaceful life. Because again, anxiety and peace don't go hand in hand. So they also offer, right? This week you'll try your hand at tackling things you're anxious about by focusing on the present and challenging your thoughts. And before we get into how we're going to do that, I want to read this from Seneca. This is Seneca's Letters to Lasilius, really famous piece. And I love that Pagliucci and Lopez include this. So this is from Seneca. How am I to know whether my sufferings are real or imaginary? Here's the rule for such matters. We are tormented either by things present or by things to come or by both. As to things present, the decision is easy. Suppose that your person enjoys freedom and health and that you do not suffer from any external injury. As to what may happen to it in the future, I think it, by it he means like these things, this health, this freedom, we shall see later on. Today, there is nothing wrong with it. And just to quickly pause, right? That's something right there we can, culti we can cultivate gratitude and awareness around. Our health, our ability to choose and make choices, right? These are things that when we pause and we think about them, we're getting ourselves into the moment, right? So that's important, I think, to mention here. Moving on with Seneca. Suppose that you're... Per oh, I already read that, sorry. Um, today, there is nothing wrong with it, but you say something will happen to it. First of all, consider whether your proofs of future troubles are sure. And as we said, right now I'm speaking here, the future is always uncertain. We had that great essay from the School of Life. So he's saying, are you sure? And he wants you to introduce, I would say, a benevolent or good and healthy type of uncertainty. And he goes on, for it is more often the case that we are troubled by our own apprehensions and that we are mocked by that mocker, rumor, which is wont to settle wars, but much more often settles individuals. Yes, my dear Lucilius, we agree too quickly with what people say. We do not put to the test those things that cause our fear. We do not examine into them. We blanch and retreat just like soldiers who are forced to abandon their camp because of a dust cloud raised by stampeding cattle or are thrown into a panic by the spreading of some unauthenticated rumor and somehow or other it is the idle report that disturbs us most and just to pause here for a second right this idea of an idle report or a report, a report that's unauthenticated that lacks evidence that's because our imaginations have this tendency to be negative right one of my favorite ideas from something called logic-based therapy which is heavily based in stoicism uh, even based in Seneca's ideas I would say largely is the idea of we you know catastrophize. We choose the explanation that we fear the most. It's called, you know, the feared explanation. We only choose it because it's the one we fear the most, for no other reason. And what he's saying with this idea of authentication, we're going to feel that in our exercise from Lopez and Pagliucci. You have to be good at gathering evidence, because if you don't have any evidence, your imagination runs wild. That's where things can get really negative, as Seneca is saying here. Right? For truth has its own definite boundaries, 
Another great quote from Seneca is that the false is limitless. Truth has boundaries. The false has no boundaries. And once again, if something has no boundaries, what do we do? We imagine. That's a problem. But, this is back to Seneca, that which arises from uncertainty is delivered over to guesswork and the irresponsible license of a frightened mind. That is why no fear is so ruinous and so uncontrollable as panic fear. For other fears are groundless, but this fear is witless. Let us then look carefully into the matter. It is likely that some troubles will befall us, but it is not a present fact. How often has the unexpected happened? How often has the expected never come to pass? That's one of my mantras too. I really refer to this really often. I really go back into my memory, as Pagliucci and Lopez will suggest, and try to remind myself how frequently my anxieties were false and how frequently my expectations, even those sometimes that I have had evidence for, didn't happen. So this, once again, as the School of Life essay suggested um, during one of our recent lectures, it highlights the uncertainty of things. It highlights, for the Stoics especially, our lack of control, which then leads to our need to make peace with that lack of control, focus on what we can control, and once again, deal with uncertainty with a greater sense of calm. So he goes on, and even though it is ordained to be, what does it avail to run out to meet your suffering? And again, the idea of it being ordained is that stoic conception that everything happens, let's say, with reason, that the universe is ordered, right? You will suffer soon enough when it arrives, so look forward, meanwhile, to better things. Another great quote from Seneca that we could use to remind ourselves. Right, for the Buddhist, right, life is suffering. We might say life, at, le at the very least, involves a lot of suffering. But if you make yourself suffer in the moment by being anxious, and then the bad thing does happen, you su suffer twice. If you make yourself anxious and suffer in the moment and the bad thing does not happen, you've suffered for no reason. So he's reminding us here, suffering is going to happen, right? It's inevitable. We can train ourselves, and I think this exercise is a great way to at least start doing it, to challenge these anxious thoughts such that we decrease our overall suffering in life, at the very least, decrease the suffering we cause ourselves, which might, for some of us, myself included at times, be a significant contributor to our suffering. All right, then he asks, what shall you gain by doing this? And in one word, this fits perfectly with our hourglass, time. There will be many happenings, meanwhile, that will serve to postpone or end or pass on to another person the trials that are near or even in your presence. A fire has opened the way to flight. Men have been let down softly by a catastrophe. Sometimes the sword has been checked even at the victim's throat. Men have survived their own executioners. Even bad fortune is fickle. Perhaps it will come, perhaps not. In the meantime, it is not. So look forward to better things. And this is really a nice, at the end there, I think, closing note on the Stoic conception, as I understand it, of luck. I think I mentioned that recently, recently uh, in a in lecture two, right? Luck is real. It's its own thing. We don't make our own luck. Bad luck exists. Good luck exists. We have to deal with it. Right? So the idea here would be to not focus on the negative possibilities and to focus on the moment. So let's get into the exercise provided by Pagliucci and Lopez now, right? So they say, a number of our problems stem from the fact that we have a tendency to engage in bad thinking without challenging it. So the first point we have to understand for the Pagliucci and Lopez in regards to Seneca, and I'll say the Stoics as well, right? They're not counseling us to, to not plan for the future. 
right? Stoicism is about action, not passivity. Okay, for many but not all people who are worrying about something, there is nothing in the present moment causing their upset except their thoughts about the future. And I'm sure we could all think of examples of this, right? Moments where things are totally fine. You're just driving in your car. Things are perfect. You're sitting on your couch. Things are fine. And yet, you allow your mind to venture into anxiety. Okay? If you are worried about something and yet you are healthy, feel no pain, and are free, then at this moment, there's nothing wrong. So that's even a nice little check-in too, right? If you can meet those criteria while you're having anxious thoughts, we have to ground ourselves in those realities for which, again, we should be grateful. That will, I think, almost immediately alleviate some anxiety. So let's get into the logistics. It's a three-step process here for Pliucci and Lopez to embody what Seneca said to Lucilius and lead a less anxious life. First one is to check in with the present moment. Okay, and they say, if the present moment is comfortable for you, then you can relax into it. You can relax into the moment by using techniques rooted in modern mindfulness. One technique is to focus your attention on the sensations of breathing. Others might be the sensation of your feet touching the ground. Another might be to tune into, a lot of these are somatic, or at least a lot of these involve your body. Another one might involve concentrating on aspects of your environment by noticing all instances of a certain color in the room or by listening to neutral sounds. So we're using our bodies and our consciousness of our bodies, our awareness, to ground ourselves in the moment. I've done all of these, and I think they are very helpful. Noticing things in the room, looking out the window, noticing what you see outside, focusing on your breathing, counting as you breathe in and counting as you breathe out. These are modern mindfulness tools. I think we can sense a little bit of Zen Buddhism here, right? We could talk maybe even about getting up and going for a walk, walking meditation, talking about getting up and moving in some way. I think this is why exercise, among other reasons, can be really helpful. You just count the reps and breathe in and breathe out and you're moving, right? And, and there's a sense of focus and attention there in the present moment that I think connects to these sort of body um, mindfulness strategies to ground ourselves in the moment. And once we've grounded ourselves, right, for Lopez and Pelucci, they say, consider whether there's anything actually wrong right now. If nothing uncomfortable is present, Go on to the next step and question your worries about the future. The second step is to clearly lay out the outcome you are worried about. What do you think will happen? This is, once again, I suggest a great exercise for self-writing. Literally, describe the anxiety in detail after you grind yourself for the moment, calm down a little bit, get a pen and paper out, write in detail what you're anxious about, right? What do you think will happen? That's what that's saying, right? Make your worry concrete. And this will make it easier to question. I think a part of making it concrete is writing it down. Remember, they say this is a great point too, it isn't a fair trial unless both sides are heard. So we have to think about the evidence we have that the outcome we are worried about will happen. And we also have to think about the evidence we have to suggest that the outcome will not happen. Find the evidence. And of course, as I said earlier, right, Lopez and Pichu offer the following. One common piece of evidence is your past experience. Think back to a time when you were worried about something and it actually didn't turn out as poorly as you anticipated. Another possible way to challenge your anxiety is to brainstorm other outcomes besides the one you fear. I love these two strategies. Gather evidence from the past and start training your imagination to see healthier, better, more helpful possibilities. 
This is the power of if. This is the power of the unknown. This is using the school of life idea, in my opinion, in a really positive and healthy way. We, I think a part of anxiety is, right, is that we assume the worst, then we make it feel true. We take an idea that is possible, because pretty much everything's possible, then we make it seem probable or likely, or like it's a strong possibility, and then we can even make ourselves feel like it's already actually happened. That is how we ruin the moment, right? The Stoics talk about the discipline of ascent. I love that idea. The, the idea of ascent more or less is like you accept something with weak support as being true. And this is something they often connect it to the idea that, uh, let's say, common opinion often goes unquestioned and as such is accepted without gathering evidence. It's accepted without examination. We assume that things are the way they are and that's fine. We have to question it. We shouldn't make that assumption. right? The idea of, uh, of doxa, right? Like poorly supported belief. So we want to avoid giving assent to doxa, which is to say, again, we want to avoid making true or making things feel true to us that aren't supported strongly, right? So on that note, we gather the evidence. I love that approach. And then the second one is, as I said, is more based on cultivating a healthier imagination. And that's where the uncertainty comes in. We introduce uncertainty into a level three anxiety. Again, level three is that idea that we make something go from level one, which is possible, to level two, which is probable, which is level three, or then to level three, which is it's happened, or it's for sure, for sure going to happen, and we start feeling like it's either happening or we're already grieving for something that hasn't even happened, and we've gone through the, all this pain, all this suffering, all this anxiety, right? So the idea here would be, well, what if that's not the case? Once again, a great exercise for self-writing. Both of these, gather the evidence and also write a different story. Tell a different story. Okay, and the, the final step for Piliucci and Lopez is to ask a practical question. Is this worrying doing me any good right now? It's a beautiful question. Whether or not the feared outcome will happen, how is worrying helping you in the present moment? Is it helpful? Is this anxiety at all helpful? We might also ask, is it truthful? Which again, truth is a little tough, we might say, right? Is it doxa? Is it poorly supported? Is another way of saying, is it true that I think it's a little more detailed and a little bit more effective? Is there good support for this truth? Or am I making it true because of my own imagination, my own way of seeing, my own, let's say, unprocessed past experiences? And of course, just say, as I said, our worry could be useful, though, if it suggests an action you can take. So it might be helpful. Again, anxiety is a natural part of our human being for a reason. It has been helpful in the past. And we have to make a plan of action, right? Because while outcomes are never completely under our control, if you can come up with a plan of action with a reserve clause, then do so. This is very important for the Stoics. The Stoics typically acted under reserve because they understood they were not the only things in the universe. There were other people. There's the universe itself. Again, there's luck and bad luck. All of these things are very important for the Stoic. They understood the, let's say, the, uh, the archer metaphor. An archer can practice day in, day out. An archer can set their feet. An archer can pull the bow back with the arrow in it and release the bow after aiming consciously, deliberately, right, with great intentions. Once they release the arrow, the archer cannot control if it starts to rain. The archer cannot control the wind. The archer cannot control if the target moves, right? 
So we have to make peace with this in life. So when we make a plan of action, we have to act under reserve because we know the universe is out of our control. We know good and bad luck are out of our control. We know other people are out of our control. And all those things will affect the outcomes. That is not at all to say that we should not take action. As I said earlier, the Stoics are an action-oriented school of philosophy. But it is to say that when we make plans, we should focus on making them clear, compelling, truthful, helpful, right? Virtuous in all the ways that the Stoics and other schools want us to be virtuous. And keep this idea that, again, we're not alone in the universe in our minds. And our anxiety or anxiety can drive us to create healthy plans, right? And in that planning process, I believe this to be the case as well, usually we put some worry aside. I'll give an example of this. I recently worked with a professor who suggested this very interesting idea. One thing we should do if you deal with social anxiety, right? So that would be just to give a rough definition, right? Especially working with this chapter. You're imagining a negative future or a negative future outcome or experience in regards to a social gathering, right? So the party's on Friday. Here you are on Tuesday anxiously thinking about it, right? Again, negatively projecting things into the future. Okay, well, a part of that, and I think the Stoics would really agree with this, working, I think, uh, in a very healthy way with premeditatio malorum, might be, all right, well, you're already premeditatio malorum. If you're anxious, you're already having negative thoughts about potential uh, things that will happen. Now, how do we, again, stop it from going from possible to probable to definite? Well, one part of that might be focusing on making a plan. And what the, my professor offered, for those of us who might deal with social anxiety, was that you should prepare yourself. Have some stories ready. Think about what you'd like to tell the people at the party. Think about yourself. Imagine yourself in the room asking people questions. A little bit of preparation goes a long way. And again, while we're preparing, we, we kind of move from the anxiety and start thinking about other things. Like, oh, what story could I share? What might be funny? What might I bring to the party? And this is just an example for social anxiety, but I think it works really well for other things as well. Right? If life, one way to look at it might be that we're facing as this challenge, I'm sorry, as this chapter says, we're facing challenges or tests, let's say. You prepare for a test. You prepare for a challenge. If you're someone who deals with social anxiety, again, join the club. A lot of people do, right? You might want to take an approach to it as if it's a challenge or some sort of, let's say, healthy competition within yourself to remain calmer, to remain more peaceful, right? A person, again, to use sort of some ancient ideas here, if you were going to, you know, wrestle somebody in the Olympic Games, you wouldn't just show up that day, right? You plan, you practice for years, day in, day out, right? So that preparation, although not the Olympic Games it's, you know, itself, or the competition at the Olympic Games itself, is useful. And the prepared person is often less anxious. Think about a test in school, right? If you're really studied, you're typically a little bit less anxious. So why not treat this event four days from now like a little bit of a test that you can prepare for? Through the preparation, you alleviate anxiety. And then when you go to the party, and again, the, anx you know, the anxious thought that might have started it doesn't happen, especially if it doesn't happen, make sure you take note of that after the party. Man, things went pretty well. It felt good. Then maybe reflect. Early this week, I wasn't as anxious because the planning worked. Because once again, back to Seneca, we suffer more in imagin imagination than in reality. So maybe there was one or two parties or whatever or social interactions that made you feel uncomfortable. And maybe you were right to feel that way. But it really doesn't mean or necessarily mean that all interactions are going to be like that. So we introduce maybe a little preparation to get rid of some anxiety in the moment which always helps us leading up to the thing. And then in a literal sense, it might also help us perform 
you know, in quotes, right, kind of sticking with this sports analogy a little bit, this grappling analogy, or this test analogy too, right, in a way that grants us peace and also makes us more effective at doing that. And we like to feel good, right? Confidence often can come from competence, and it should. So if we feel more competent, then we'll feel more confident. Also, confidence really works, I think, to fight against anxiety because of that really beautiful relationship between fear, anxiety, and then the antidote to that being confidence. Right? So in summary, we do three things. Ground yourself in the present. Again, think about the, the, the bodily approaches to that, the breathing, the feeling our feet on the ground, and maybe going for a walk, maybe doing a little exercise, right? Being grateful for the fact that we can see the things we're seeing, being grateful for our health in the moment, being grateful for our ability to make choices in the moment, express our freedom in the moment, and being conscious of that. Once again, maybe even writing it. Then also, after clarifying your worry, so what the hell am I actually thinking here? Weigh the evidence for and against it actually happening. This where you kind of, you know, you have to be a little bit of, an, of like an observer and a scientist here. Observe your past. Learn from it. Take that seriously. Once again, writing is a way to take it seriously, make it more effective, make it more clear. And generate other ways the event may turn out better than you are anticipating. That's the imagination once again, right? Finally, question whether worrying about it now is actually helping you, regardless of how things might turn out. And I think usually the answer to that is no, it's not helping me, right? Plan an action if it is helpful to do so, and put the worry to the side if it's not. And of course, as we have with the last exercise from this great book, they explain why we should do it, right? Scientific evidence suggests that these methods are useful in coping with worry and negative thoughts. The first step of Seneca's process is similar to mindfulness methods. The second and third steps are related to modern cognitive behavioral methods. Okay. Seneca also lays out specific benefits or reasons why we should think about and practice this process. First, it allows you to logically weigh the evidence concerning your worry. We have to get good at weighing evidence. That's a skill I hope we take away from this podcast. We make assumptions once again. We give assent to doxa. We make true things that are either not true or are very weakly supported. And we act like they have strong support. That's well, one of the reasons for that is because we're bad at looking at evidence. Self-writing is a great way to look at evidence, to gather evidence, and examine it. Being able to question the truth of your impressions is a key skill within the discipline of, as I've been saying, discipline of assent. Question the truth of your impressions. Question the truth of your judgments. Question the truth of your imagination, right? Even if the event you fear turns out as you expect in the future, it doesn't make much sense to ruin the present moment over it as well. Back to my idea of don't make yourself constantly suffer twice. So take these three little suggestions I think that comprise one larger practice that I think is very useful. I've practiced this. I do this a lot with my anxious thoughts and it's been helpful. And again, a lot of this, as we're saying, the first step, relate to the present moment, involves our relationship to time, our thoughts about time. And the hourglass is that wonderful reminder, in my opinion, that we're running out of time. We have to use it wisely. As Seneca wrote to Lucilius, right, who he was advising, he was kind of like a philosophical teacher, mentor, even friend, I think, and therapist, we could even say, I think to a large extent. You get back your time, and as Seneca also said, the only thing you have is your time. Don't spend your time in anxiety and allow that to go unchallenged. Once again, it's going to happen. Now we have some tools to challenge it. Even the physical reminder, the visual reminder, 
of the hourglass should encourage us to take these suggestions seriously. You're running out of time. Let's spend it in a healthier, more joyful way. Let's get rid of some anxiety. Hope this is helpful. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.